0: Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name's Ros Beaver, I am a Partner and Director of Legal Services for Family at Erwin Mitchell and I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Samantha Hillis from St John's Building's Barristers and Chambers onto the podcast today. Sam is a QC, and she specialises in matrimonial finance cases, generally the more complex ones. Thank you for joining me today, Sam. Morning, Rosie. Morning. As you know, we've been running a dispute resolution campaign over recent weeks, and we thought it'd be fascinating to hear from you, a barrister who specialises in financial cases. And I know that you've recently... Qualified as an arbitrator, too. So you can see both sides of the coin and give us quite a lot of your views about how ADR fits in and how it might be beneficial. Specifically, we're going to look at ENE or early neutral evaluation and the financial dispute resolution hearing, commonly referred to as the FDR, and how effective they might be in settling cases for our clients and how it works and fits in with alternative dispute resolution as a whole. So specifically, I thought it would be a good start point for you to give us your thoughts on alternative dispute resolution. Well, Ros, I am, like most
1: financial remedy practitioners, a huge fan of ADR, because it serves a purpose, and the purpose, I think, is to reduce the amount of pressure on the court system to try and reduce the expense of some of our financial remedy proceedings. There's certainly one school of thought that proceedings take too long to resolve, that it involves a disproportionate level of costs, and that they are difficult for litigants in person to navigate. And there was a report last year by the Centre for Child and Family Reform uh, from May 2020 which spoke about these issues and published a report on fast-tracking, which we can talk about a little bit later. But clearly the conclusions of that report and our own experience as family lawyers shows us that the system doesn't work for everybody. As we know, you may have a case where the assets are really modest, people may not own their own house, maybe may be modest pensions, there may not be very much in it at all. But the same process is in place for those cases – as for the multi-million pound cases, so as far as ADR is concerned, it has a real place, I think, for financial remedy practitioners. And I'd just like to um, explode one myth. I know that we've spoken about this before, which is that divorce lawyers are all leeches. We're all out to make as much money as we can from people's misery and misfortune, and that it's in the lawyer's interest to run every case to a final hearing and charge hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of fees. Well. That's not generally how we practice, as you know and as I know, because we may have more cases which we resolve amicably and by way of non-court dispute resolution, and those are the cases which will generate further work for us because the clients go away happy and recommend us to their friends and colleagues. What we don't want is a situation where people are spending hundreds of thousands of pounds getting all the way to a final hearing where there's a risky outcome that they they don't quite know what their financial position is going to be after those. That's not what we're looking for in terms of financial remedy practitioners. We want to keep happy clients and generally a happy client is somebody who can obtain an outcome sooner rather than later because that's what we forget. As far as our lay clients are concerned, they just want to get to the other side of this process as quickly as possible. And so there is a real place for ADR in my view both the FDR, which we're talking about today, and early neutral evaluations, which I'm taking as meaning some kind of financial dispute resolution hearing, which is outside of the court process, so non-court dispute resolution, for example. So where do you think,
0: (laughs) in, in terms of ADR and where we've got to so far, what do you think has blocked it previously? Because we've got the early neutral evaluation we've got the FDR and we know and and it's become more popular we know that it it can be very effective what do you think's blocked it and its use previously or do you think it's not been a blocker do you think it's just um maybe no, have just not been familiar with it I think that's generally the problem
1: that well certainly that's the biggest problem in my experience both practitioners and lay clients don't know enough about ADR. As we've seen with arbitration, there's been quite a slow takeoff of arbitration. Although for many of the cases we do, the arbitral process would be perfect to resolve those complaints uh, and, uh, and those sets of proceedings. But there's been a very slow take up. I remember I was listening to a podcast with Reese Taylor um, recently, and I think he estimated there'd been about 150 arbitrations. Now, that can only be because there is a real lack of information out there about what the arbitration process is. But it's not just arbitration. I mean, private FDRs, many clients don't know about them. Certainly, non court dispute resolution is not particularly well signposted for litigants in person. And so, if you have a swathe of cases, which people are represented and the practitioners are not really getting on board with non-court dispute resolution, it's hardly surprising that lay parties are not getting on board with non-court dispute resolution. And of course, there are different pockets around the country where non-court dispute resolution is more successful than others. And there are all sorts of reasons for that, not necessarily negative reasons. I mean, I was in, in anticipation of this podcast today, I was thinking about our local practice. And many of the arguments in favour of non-court dispute resolution. So lack of court time, cases getting bumped at the last minute because the court lists are overrun, lack of adequate facilities at court. We're really lucky in Manchester because we we don't generally have those issues. Uh, And so ironically, I wonder whether in, up in the North West, we don't engage in non-court dispute resolution as often as they do in other pockets of the country because we have a, a very robust and very effective financial remedy court um, in Manchester and Liverpool and, and Merseyside, that, that perhaps we don't need ADR as much to fill a perceived gap. So there are all sorts of reasons, I think, positive and negative, but generally I do think it's a lack of signposting for non-court dispute resolution and a lack of emphasis to the parties that the court is expecting parties to resolve their cases amicably where possible and really only the ones where there is a deadlock should be listed for a final hearing.
0: And certainly from my perspective early neutral evaluation starts at the first meeting with a client where you're trying to distill the issues and look at what the overriding objective might be. It's very easy, in my experience, to see a scenario whereby actually you've had several meetings with a client and actually nothing's been achieved. But as practitioners, I think it's really, really important that we start that process very early. And that early neutral evaluation and looking at the issues can start at the very first meeting, um, notwithstanding the emotional aspects, is that something that you've experienced too? Well, if we we look back on our careers doing financial
1: remedy work since the family procedure rules 2010 and and the introduction of the um, new system many years before that, the intention was always that the first hearing was to be treated as an FDR where possible. And we still have that system and we fill in the form routinely, to say an FDR is impossible in this case because there's still further disclosure to be obtained, etc. But when we started the, say in inverted commas, new system, that is what we intended, that the first hearing would be some kind of early neutral evaluation where you would have an experienced financial remedy judge setting out the the parameters of the case and giving the parties some firm uh, perhaps unwelcome, but but fairly clear and robust advice right from the beginning, and I've certainly found over the course of the last few years that that system appears to have fallen by the wayside, and these days nobody really approaches a first appointment as anything other than simply a directions hearing, and and it's quite rare for district judges at the first appointment to start making observations about the case, but it would be useful if they did. And it would certainly be useful for litigants in person who were coming into this themselves. If at the first hearing, a judge, a properly qualified financial remedy judge who knew what she was doing, and the vast majority of them do, we are blessed with a with a very good financial remedy court um, in England and Wales. But if those parties, particularly litigants in person, were given a steer right at the outset, uh, I think that would be very useful. And there's nothing to stop us as practitioners using that first appointment to obtain some kind of early neutral evaluation. But it doesn't happen in practice, although certainly I said I would come back to it. The report I mentioned from the Centre for Child and Family Law Reform suggested that in low value cases, it might be sensible to have some kind of fast track system, which effectively fuses the first appointment and the FDR on the basis that parties are given an early steer as to what the likely outcome is going to be. And then directed to non-court dispute resolution if the matter doesn't settle or listed for a final hearing if not and and so yes i think in answer to your original question early neutral evaluations are useful there is a place for them in the system there is also procedural rules in place for them um, uh, within the system but we don't tend to use the process in that way and certainly in, in in preparing for this i've thought more about early neutral evaluations as being outside of the court process so you've got the fdr in court and the early neutral evaluation or private fdr's um you may want to call them outside of the court process
0: so for me as someone who's been practicing for over 20 years when i first heard the phrase early neutral evaluation i was what's that now actually it's something that is not a big mythical concept. It is something that is enshrined in the existing statute and procedural rules. And it's something that practitioners do almost automatically on an automatic pilot, particularly those who are experienced. So it's not a new concept, is it? No. No. Um, but but certainly there is
1: increasing knowledge of a need to try and streamline the process. And early neutral evaluations have a big part or a big place uh, in that streamlined process, in my view.
0: So for those who are listening and might not be familiar with the court process and how these things generally are resolved, it's really trying to disseminate the issues and, and look at what those issues might be, what the blockers to settlement might be, and try and navigate a solution effectively isn't it and and that
1: can either take place within the court process if you have a judge at the first appointment who is able to give the parties a steer either as to the outcome or what would need to be achieved to unblock the the block that you've talked about or by adequately signposting those parties to
0: non-court dispute resolution and so how, how does it work with alternative dispute resolution mechanisms? What, what's the difference and how would the lay client be best guided to approach it if it was an ADR solution?
1: The difficulty, I think, at the moment is that without any real adequate signposting or leafleting of ADR, for litigants in person, ADR is is generally taken up by parties who are legally represented because their lawyers will, notwithstanding what we said earlier, but their lawyers will generally have a fairly clear understanding about how ADR works. And so uh, there is a limited take up from lay parties because they don't know the process. So just to go into it in a little bit more detail... It, it it was clear from the report that I've spoken about that came out last year that litigants in person in particular view financial remedy proceedings as a suite of three hearings which must be gone through to get to the end to reach your conclusion. and And that's really not the impression we should be giving lay parties. We should be giving lay parties the impression that you can turn up at court once if you've given adequate disclosure, if you've given full and frank disclosure, everybody understands what the financial landscape is with a good judge, you, you could be assisted towards a, a settlement. If you are represented, as I say, lawyers have much more information about ADR and you're much more, more likely to be guided to, to ADR if you are represented. In those circumstances, it can be enormously effective. One of my cases, for example, relatively recently, it was a, a, a decent case. There was a fair bit of money in it. There were some complicated issues, but there was a real will on the part of both parties. One, not for it to take a long time. And two, more importantly, not to want to spend a lot of money. And so we designed our own procedure, if I can put it that way. We exchanged disclosure on a voluntary basis. We listed it for a private FDR, so an early neutral evaluation, which was conducted by somebody in my chambers, and we were able to resolve that case very quickly. The parties spent a fraction of what they would have spent had they gone all the way through to contested uh, a, a, a contested final hearing, and both of them were relatively content with the outcome. And that links back to what I said earlier. Those, those are the kind of clients that we want, aren't we, as, fi- uh, as financial remedy practitioners. Clients that are happy, and clients are generally not going to be happy if they spend half a million pounds to come out with an outcome which they're not particularly content with. You know, we don't just have to look at early neutral evaluations outside of the process. We can look at court-led early neutral evaluations. And I I know that there are different uh, schemes or initiatives in in different courts. I I recently had a case in Merseyside and the judge, who was an excellent um, district judge, took a very proactive approach. This couple had not just financial disputes, uh, a number of other family-related disputes between them. And the judge offered to have an early neutral evaluation, which encapsulated all of the disputes between us. Now, we we didn't settle everything on that day, but I don't think anybody expected to settle things on that day. What we expected is, is a steer from the judge as to what would happen if the various disputes went all the way to trial. And she did that very well. And the parties subsequently did settle and and avoid um, not just one final hearing in financial remedy proceedings, but a final hearing in the children proceedings as well. So, you know, it's not just looking at court led FDRs or early neutral evaluations or looking outside of the process. These things can work sympathetically with each other. And the best example of that will be where parties issue proceedings, they have a court led First appointment where directions are given, then they come out of the system, they go to a private FDR, and it's only if that's unsuccessful that they go back into the system and have a final hearing, a court-led final hearing. But of course, private FDRs and early neutral evaluations can work with the arbitration system as well. There is no reason why parties who sign up to arbitration can't have a first hearing with their arbitrator, tee it up for a contested Uh, final hearing just in case it's not going to settle, but then go and have a private FDR with, with, with another practitioner.
0: So you've given an absolutely brilliant example there of where you've had real flexibility in the court system, but we know as practitioners that you don't always have that level of experience with a judge. The judge might not have the same amount of time to consider matters, and they might not be as experienced and as confident. What do you think the advantages are for the alternative dispute resolution over that court-based process?
1: Well, you hit the nail on the head, really. Your first point is flexibility. If you engage in non-court dispute resolution, there is an enormous amount of flexibility as to who sits in the chair as the Judge, although of course they're not a judge, they're a, a, an early neutral evaluator, or they might be an arbitrator if you're going through the arbitration system. You can choose your venue, you can choose your date, you can ensure that any non court dispute resolution process takes place in an environment completely different to court, where, as we've indicated earlier, not all court buildings have adequate facilities. Or refreshments, you might not get conference rooms, you might not be able to get anything to eat or drink over the course of a long day. And and like anything else, if you're gonna try and sit and resolve your finances, you might need a cup of tea and a and a Kit Kat to, to get you on your way. But some some courts don't don't even allow for that. So you know, it's the flexibility, it's the better surroundings, it's the fact that you can create an environment in which it's more likely that the parties will come together. And and you don't often get that, or, or you don't get it in the same way at court. That's not to say that FDRs, court-led FDRs, don't have their place in the vast majority of cases, and I, and, I, and I think they do. And I think that we have probably gone past the position where we might have been a few years ago before the creation of the Financial Remedy Court, where one of the concerns that some practitioners had in various places around the country is that they turn up um, for an FDR with perhaps a deputy judge whose specialism wasn't in financial remedy and they the indication wasn't that which they would have liked in terms of uh, breadth and depth to push the parties to a settlement. I, I think we've gone beyond that now because the creation of the Financial Remedy Court means that All of the judges involved in the system do have an understanding of uh, and experience in financial remedy work. So, that issue I think has has fallen away to a certain extent. But all of the other things we spoke about, you know, the flexibility and the surroundings and refreshments uh, and everything else can certainly be very useful in terms of, of trying to settle a case.
0: And certainly for me, for those clients who have been pessimistic about using an alternative dispute resolution mechanism or forum, and also been a little bit sceptical about the upfront cost associated with it. It has almost always resulted in an outcome much sooner with clients spending actually less money overall. Is that your experience too?
1: It, It certainly is. And I'd say the same about arbitration, The the main complaint about private FDRs and arbitration and other forms of alternative dispute resolution are that you are paying for your evaluator. And of course, that's an additional expense because parties who are represented will be each paying a lawyer to engage in that process with them and then also paying for the evaluator on top. If you are a litigant in person and you're not paying lawyers anything by way of legal fees, then you still have the additional cost of your evaluator or your mediator or your arbitrator. So certainly we can't ignore the fact that that, that cost exists. However, if by spending that additional amount to take your case outside of the court system and engage in non-court dispute resolution means it finishes sooner, and finishes quicker, and it finishes with less expenditure on legal fees overall, then it's about getting the right balance and realising that for that additional upfront cost, there may be long-term savings. Certainly cases in which private FDRs have been adopted, that have been involved in, or arbitration, the very fact that you have a streamlined process means generally you will spend less in legal costs overall.
0: And I recall you and I going to a hotel a few years ago now where it was the I think it was either the first or the second time that we'd met the client. And it was a very expensive meeting, but we achieved an overall settlement for the entire case in one day didn't do you remember the case I'm talking about and that was yeah and that was um financial provision for children and it it was a massively effective way of dealing with it so in your experience how do you think anecdotally perhaps how do you think the process has evolved during the pandemic I certainly
1: think from my practice I'm going to speak for myself we are using ADR more and more because of that whole uncertainty with the court system and the delays in getting a hearing is, is an issue that lay clients complain about uh, all of the time. The uncertainty about whether or not there will be a face-to-face hearing or a hearing by way of video link or sometimes uh, unfortunately and unsatisfactorily by way of telephone. If you decide that you are going to engage in ADR, so arbitration or a private FGR, you can choose what happens. So there are, because different courts work in different ways, I know in my practice there are some courts where the in, in the first instance you'll be face-to-face. Then there are other courts where it's unlikely you will be in a face-to-face hearing probably during the rest of this year. So if you have parties who want a face-to-face FDR, and we all know, don't we, as practitioners, that there are some cases where you might just need to get everybody in the same room to be able to get this this resolved. If you come outside of the system and engage in non-court dispute resolution, you can make that one of your uh, points. You can say, I'll engage in a private FDR, but I want it to be a face-to-face FDR. Or you can recommend that to your clients. So the delays in the system and the uncertainty about uh, when and how your hearing will be heard means there has been a greater push for non-court dispute resolution as far as I can see.
0: And do you think at some point we will ever move away from needing the court to make final decisions or to make orders as to how a case could progress and should progress? For me, I think there are there will always be a place for the court because it is something that is a little bit more daunting. And for those who are perhaps a little more recalcitrant, it remains something that we are going to require. Do you agree?
1: Yes, of course, Roz. The reality is that the majority of cases will start and finish within the court system. That's what the court system is there for. And even in cases in which we're involved, we would be recommending other clients would want to engage in this court system or stay within the court system because there are difficulties. You know, if you've got a case where you have concerns about the disclosure which you've been given, you have concerns about enforcement, they're not generally the kind of cases where you will have two parties willing and able to come outside of the court system and resolve their difficulties amicably. And so for those cases, they will stay in the court system.
0: And I know that one of the issues that we face is that there is inconsistency across the country in terms of how the courts deal with matters. Do you know of anything on the horizon that might be coming up or do, do you think personally there's anything that we could do as practitioners to try and help improve that consistency and to try and, if you like, expedite the entire process for clients?
1: I think that's probably a couple of questions. The first one is probably a little bit deeper than this podcast, allows. In terms of consistency, certainly it's right, perhaps more historically, that people considered there was, for example, a north-south divide, and you might do better in London than you might do in the north. I think that the introduction of the Financial Remedy Court and the additional training that's been taking place means that there should be greater consistency geographically and across the levels of the financial remedy court. And also what's important uh, and pushing that is, is greater transparency and a greater reporting of financial remedy cases, not just the big multi-million pound cases, but we need to see reported the Commoner Garden, general financial remedy cases, what we might call smaller money or more modest assets. And, and certainly, transparency and publication of judgments in those cases will generate a greater level of consistency across the board.
0: So so effectively, I think what, what's come out of this discussion, Sam, is that the pandemic has given us an opportunity as practitioners to really focus and be more imaginative about the ways in which we try and find a solution for our clients. And it gives us a huge amount of opportunity as practitioners to collectively look at all of those possible solutions and mechanisms The court process is always going to have its its place, but there are alternatives which are might seem front loaded in terms of cost, but ultimately they are for the client's benefit. So that's it really for today because we've run out of time. But it's been brilliant um, speaking to you today, Sam, and thank you very much to everyone for listening to the Owen Mitchell podcast, which I hope you found interesting and. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Bye for now.